0: And be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, <clears throat> Chapter Two, verses fifteen and sixteen. By the way, for those of you that uh, were at the evening service uh, last week, I preached from the preceding passage in Galatians, Galatians 2, 11 through 14, and I only completed half the sermon. You folks are going to get the other half of that sermon next time we're together in the evening service. I decided not to preach that today uh, because most of you missed the whole first half of the sermon. <laughs> so we're moving on to the next text, but I will back up to the second uh, portion of that sermon next time in the evening service that so we have that. But here we are in uh, two exceedingly important verses. Uh, really, this is the heart of Galatians, the message of Galatians uh, contained here in summary fashion verses 15 and 16. Listen reverently as I read God's word to you. <clears throat> We are Jews by nature, and not Gentiles, excuse me, and not sinners rather, from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, Amen. And by the way, I hope you noticed the "we" there is Paul speaking, uh, and he means we Jews when he says, "Even we, even we Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus, that we, even we Jews, may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, which, of course, was given to the Jews." The uh, well, it was, it was. Inscripturated on Mount Sinai it had been given actually before then in the conscience of Adam and his posterity, but. So, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege, the great privilege of having your word available to us readily, not just your word read, uh, in front of us, but also your word preached, Lord. We pray that preaching your word would continue to be allowed uh, without hindrance from the governing authorities. Having just read of a country that is uh, forbids hate speech; uh, it's a crime to speak truth from Scripture in a Western European country. Lord, would you please forbid that that ever happens here in this land? Now as your word is unpacked, um, would you please bless that exposition to our spiritual benefit and growth in grace, and that it might be for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. By the way, before I, I'll explain what I just said before I delve into the sermon here. I received a, a text from my brother last night that Norway has made it outlawed hate speech and uh, uh, as they define hate speech. Uh, and so it's against the law to, uh, against, specifically against transgenderism. So if you speak against transgenderism, you have broken the law and can be arrested in Norway. It's coming to our shores if Florida is not merciful. And of course, we shouldn't hate anybody, but they define hate speech as criticism of uh, anything that they condone. So. Okay, let's move on to a, more pleasant subject, the word of God. <laughs> Kids, um, have you ever had someone, perhaps it was your parents or your grandparents or maybe even it was a neighbor, offer to give you a certain amount of money or maybe some candy or maybe ice cream or uh, perhaps a trip to some place you wanted to go to, Offered to give you something if you would do something for that person? For example, maybe your parents said, Uh, One of your parents said, "If you rake the leaves, leaves that are falling around us now as as it uh, approaches winter. If you rake the leaves, I'll give you a bowl of bluebell, something like that. Maybe that's uh, or or if you pull weeds in the garden, um, I'll I'll let you have the afternoon uh, off. We won't uh, we won't do our, uh, our our schoolwork that afternoon if you're homeschooled or something like that." Things like that, where somebody has said, you do this, and I'll do that for you. Most all of us have had that happen, right? Where your parents have said, oh, you do this, or somebody has said that, and you do it, and you get a reward for it. Uh, when you're finished doing the job, you get a reward, right? You get whatever the person said they would give you. So you have, an effect, the payment that you receive, whether it's money uh, or candy or or, uh, or perhaps it's healthy Things, other than candy. But whatever you got, that payment was something that you worked for and you earned, either by raking the lawn or pulling weeds or cleaning out the garage or making your bed or what have you. It's payment. You earned it. There are a lot of people, kids, a lot of people in our world today, in our country today, who believe that they can earn. God's acceptance of them, God's favor for them, through things that they do for God. Or at least that they would say, I do this for God. I'll give you an example. Perhaps you've even heard this, although if you're really young, you probably haven't had somebody say this to you yet, but probably sooner or later you will. Where somebody says to you, I'm right with God. I have a good relationship with God because I go to church regularly. There are lots of people who would make that statement in this? Actually, in this community, who would be willing to say that? Oh yeah, I, I'm right with God because I go to church. Uh, or maybe you've heard something like this, you children. Um, I think God accepts me because I've I've tried to be a good person. Maybe you've heard people, maybe some of your friends in the neighborhood, you've heard say that. Um, I, I'm God likes me because I'm a I try to be good. I think it's safe to say uh, that most people in our nation, including most, or maybe I should say many, churchgoers, think that they can get God to forgive them and to accept them through things that they either do or don't do. In other words, through their deeds, their good deeds. There are a lot of people in our country that feel this way and indeed around the world. But is this what what God teaches us in his word, kids? Does God teach us in His Word that we can be accepted by Him uh, if we do certain things? That we can be forgiven of our sins if we're a good person? Learning the correct answer to that question, kids, is one of the most important things you and I will ever do in this life. Because knowing the correct answer to this question, can I please God through my own efforts and behavior, that may well determine where you spend eternity, whether you spend eternity in heaven or in hell. I have some good news for you, for those of you children that are listening to me. The passage that we're looking at right here this morning clearly answers this question of, can I please God and be accepted by God and forgiven by God through my own efforts to be good? This question is answered in this passage. Children, you need to listen to this carefully. Because this is... Your your entire eternal well-being hangs in the balance if you understand or don't understand what this passage teaches. Very, very important. It's It's the crux of Christianity what you're going to hear in the next half hour or so. As I indicated earlier, we've arrived... Uh, this is this is the central message uh, uh, of this letter that Paul is writing. That's the principal reason why Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia, to emphasize this point and to debunk the views of these false teachers that were afflicting uh, his Galatian readers. I'll just remind you what happened up to this point. Paul has been defending himself uh against accusations made by some Judaizing teachers, that is, men from Jewish backgrounds who claim to have become Christians but haven't become Christians and are peddling a works righteousness or works religion. Uh, and he's been accused by such men in Galatia uh, saying that essentially, Paul is not really a true disciple of Christ, or a, a, a true apostle of Christ, or at least he's not on a par with the other 12. Remember, he was the 13th apostle. And so they're probably saying, pauls he means well, but he's really not up to snuff in terms of his authority, and certainly not in terms of what he was preaching when he was among you. And what that's the reason they try to denigrate his authority as an apostle is because they want to denigrate the message that he had brought to them, the gospel. In other words, the true gospel, um, and they want the people that they are talking to, Paul's readers, to think that Paul's message is defective, and that they themselves, the false teachers, actually have the 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 real gospel. Actually, uh, have the true thing that Jesus was teaching and stood for, which is, uh, was a lie from the devil himself, but that was what they were peddling. Two points from this short passage we're going to look at in the remainder of our time together. First is this. Regardless of how good or religious you fancy yourself to be, You cannot make yourself acceptable to God through your own efforts. You cannot. And secondly, we're going to see that regardless of how good or religious you fancy yourself to be, you can only make yourself acceptable to God by trusting in Jesus alone. First, regardless of how good or religious you fancy yourself to be, You cannot make yourself, cannot make yourself acceptable to God through your own efforts. But that is precisely what the Judaizers, what their message was. Oh, no, 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 you can make yourself pleasing to God. You've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do, you have to be a good Jew first. You have to, as well, you have to do certain things, foremost of which is you have to be circumcised if you are a man. I want to take a moment to talk about the Jewish people before we get into this text anymore. Who were the Jewish people prior to Jesus' death? Prior to the coming, in other words, of Jesus' public ministry and its completion. Well, they were um, God's special people under the Old Covenant administration of the Covenant of Grace. They were special. They were chosen people whom God himself had chosen to be His uh, the, the people Uh, through which he would cause his covenant to be worked out. So we'll call them, rightly so, his covenant people. They were chosen by him, set apart by him from all the other peoples of the world. I'm talking now about the biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were referred to, uh, the Jewish people were, in the Old Testament as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation as a people for God's own possession and by the way of course Peter uses that same terminology in 1 Peter to describe the church that's now us but in the old testament it was israel it was the biological descendants of actually of of jacob himself who was later named by god israel paul says in romans 9, about the Old Testament uh, people of God, the Jewish people, he, just, he says there in uh, Romans 9, 4, to them, meaning to the Jews, belonged the adoption as sons. And the glory, meaning the glory of God was amongst them, uh, the Shekinah glory. To them belonged the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Belonged to the Jews. The descendants of And in verse 5 of Romans uh, 9, that same chapter, the next verse, the apostle points out that the Jews were the descendants of the patriarchs and were the people from from whose midst the Messiah arose. All true, Jesus was a Jew. They were a truly blessed and special ethnic group. And it was reasonable to conclude from this very special status that the Jews occupied, uh, excuse me, from this very special status that the Jews occupied in God's thinking during the previous 2,000 years, it was reasonable to conclude that if anyone was able to make himself acceptable to God and pleasing to God by his own efforts to do good, if anybody could accomplish that, and make himself acceptable, it was a Jew. It wasn't a Gentile. It was a Jew. To whom belong the promises and the law, the giving of the law and the temple service and the adoption of sons and covenants and so on. And the fact that, uh, the belief that, uh, that the Jew was capable of this, if anybody was capable of this, this is exactly what many first century Jews did conclude with the help of their Um, heretical rabbis, they concluded that indeed a Jew could earn God's favor and God's acceptance and forgiveness from God and his way into heaven by his efforts at keeping God's law that had been given to them through Moses. And this is essentially what the Judaizers, who were claimed to be Jewish Christians, Christians who believed in Jesus, they would say, Oh, we believe in Jesus. But they were of a Jewish background and believed you had to be a good Jew as well as believe in Jesus. They believed uh, that you could by you could contribute to your acceptance with God by what you did. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and you have to keep the law. And God will be pleased with you and God will accept you and you will get to heaven. Yet, what does Paul say about Jews and their ability to make themselves acceptable to God through their own efforts? What does Paul say? He says it right here in verse 15 and 16. He says, We are Jews by nature. Paul, of course, was a Jew. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. So we're among that special group of people that God loved uniquely and chose uniquely. He says in verse 16, though, nevertheless, though we are Jews, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we, meaning even we Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus That we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Not even the Jews and the very best and most obedient and most faithful Jews, not even those folks were acceptable to God on the basis of their attempts at obedience, their attempts at keeping God's law, in other words. Jews couldn't get into heaven. Paul couldn't get into heaven. Peter couldn't get into heaven. None of the earliest Christians were going to get into heaven if they were trusting in their law-keeping. Paul just said it. So, if the very people whom God had set apart as his own special people under the Old Covenant couldn't merit God's favor through their efforts, then who could? And the answer is quite obvious, isn't it? Nobody absolutely nobody. If the Jew can't do it, none of us Gentiles are going to either. And that's precisely the conclusion that Paul arrives at in the very last phrase in verse 16 that I didn't read just a moment ago where he says, Since by the works of the law shall no flesh or no mortal man be justified. Justified by the way uh, we uh, uh, Now is probably a good time to describe that. Uh, justification uh, is an act of God's free grace. This is the shorter catechism definition. Uh, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein we are uh, pardoned of all our sins, so there's forgiveness, and accepted as righteous in his sight, uh, pleasing is his sight, uh, and, and indeed positively righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. We are righteous not because we are righteous. We are righteous experientially, but because Jesus is righteous, perfectly so, and his perfect law-keeping, his perfect obedience, righteousness, was credited to the believer the moment he or she believed. And that is what it means to be justified, pardoned and declared righteous by God in the courtroom of heaven. And he says, for since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No human being, no mortal man is going to get that way. Why? Why is that the case? Why aren't any of us descendants of Adam, Jew or Gentile, why are we not able to merit God's favor through our own efforts? Why is that a problem? Well, there are a couple good reasons why that's a problem. One is who God is, and second, the second reason is who we are. We're going to unpack that here. First of all, God is described, um, I'm just going to read the text, and there's multiple, probably hundreds of texts that could be brought to bear to make this point. I'm just using uh, Psalm 99, verses 4 and 5. We read there, uh, Psalm 99, Verse four, and the strength of the king, and here the king is God, loves justice. Thou hast established equity. Thou hast executed justice and righteousness in, in Jacob. Then he says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. And then he says this, holy is he. And that, that refrain is, is repeated, uh, is uh, it three times? Two, at least twice, if not three times, in that in that psalm. Holy is he. What does that mean? And also, he speaks of his justice too in that in the very psalm. He he loves justice. What does it mean to say God is holy and just? It's speaking of God's moral character. He is morally, utterly pure. There isn't the slightest imperfection in his nature, morally speaking, at all. He is blindingly pure, if you will. And because he is blindingly pure, because he, he is uh, consumed with righteousness and goodness, he is revolted by anything that is contrary to that. And that is sin. Sin. Any sin is, is repugnant to him. It's vile in his sight. And those who commit it are vile in his sight. And his justice then, which is, he, he, he punishes all evil, immediately requires the destruction of the one who is seen by him as, uh, as anything less than morally pure and upright and perfect, perfect. The fact that that's the case, by the way, again, from the Psalms, Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6, we read this. David says, For thou art not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Now that right there is, that's an understatement. Um, It's, listen to what comes after this. For thou art not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Then he says this, and this points to God's holiness. No evil dwells with thee. And then he says, The boastful shall not stand. The arrogant, the prideful, shall not stand before thine eyes. Thou dost hate all who do iniquity. Anybody who says that God doesn't hate people, certain people, hasn't read this or taken this text seriously and multiple other ones like it. He goes on, Thou dost destroy... Those who speak falsehood, the Lord abhors another synonym for hatred. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. God hates evil and those who commit it. That's part of the reason why you and I are going to have troubles earning our favor, earning God's favor and troubles. I'm, I'm being silly by saying that. Why we cannot earn God's favor uh, or merit God's favor in our own abilities. But the second reason is uh, goes hand-in-hand hand with the, the first one, and that is, not only is God the way he is, we are the way we are. The things that you and I have done that we or others might consider to be good deeds are not good in the sight of God. Thank you, Trey. <laughs> That's a little distracting, <laughs> wouldn't you say? <laughs> Let me say that again, (laughs) now that the light's back on. The things that you and I have done that we or others around us might consider to be good deeds are not good in the sight of God. Unless we're Christians, by the way. That changes things once we are forgiven by God. But prior to becoming Christians, anything that somebody might say is a good deed is not a good deed in the sight of God. Now, it might be compared to the our next door neighbors, or our members of our family, or whatever, but not when uh, when God uh, is brought into the equation. God says this regarding the good deeds of those who are unforgiven, who are not believers. He says in that well known passage, uh, Isaiah sixty four, verses five through seven, Thou. Isaiah speaking, thou dost meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers thee in thy ways. Behold, thou wast angry, for we sinned. We continued in them, meaning uh, the, the people of uh, the external people of God, we continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And there is none, no one who calls on thy name, who arouses himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hidden thy face from us, and hast delivered us into the power of our iniquities. He's talking there about church-going people, Old Testament versions of the church-going folks, who weren't believers, who didn't love God, who were godless, as it were, even though they professed to know God. And they were living uh, vile uh, lives of uh, that pretended to be righteous. And God says there that their righteous deeds uh, that might have impressed their neighbor were vile in his sight. Uh, And um, filthy garment uh, has some connotations that are particularly gross. This describes all of us, folks, from conception onward. That's us. We have, and why? Why are our? Why do our attempts at good not impress God uh, prior to our becoming Christians? Because they are defiled by our sinful hearts. We all have sin in us. We are. um, We are all conceived in sin, and that sin is lodged within the core of our being, and it pollutes everything that comes out of us, whether it be our words or our actions. And there is no exception to that rule. There is not a single person, save Jesus himself, who has not been stained by Adam's first sin and all the sins that have flowed from our sinful hearts since conception. And so God is holy, he hates sin, and he must punish it, must punish it. And we are all sinners. And so, none of us can earn God's favor in that, with that state of affairs. And that is the state of affairs. So, let me ask you, are you, either in whole or even in part, are you here listening to me, either in person or remotely, are you looking to the good deeds that you think you've done, that you are fairly impressed by, or others around you might be are impressed by, are you looking to such good deeds to make you acceptable, or help make you acceptable to God? to get you into heaven to get you forgiven if you think that way if you, if that's your thinking that is a recipe for disaster eternal disaster for you i titled this sermon and it's not it's not in the uh it's not in the bulletin but the title of this sermon is damned if we do if you're looking at all to what you have done to impress God, that's the do, damned if we do. So, regardless of how good or religious you fancy yourself to be, you cannot make yourself acceptable to God through your own efforts, but you can only make yourself acceptable to God by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. In verse 16 of our passage, uh, makes that point eloquently. Um, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, there it is, even we, meaning even we Jews, who were specially uh, treated by God in the Old Testament age, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. The person who trusts in Jesus alone to protect him or her from God's judicial wrath, his hatred of sin, his justice, and trusts in Jesus to reconcile him to God and get his sins covered from God's sight and get God to forgive him. him uh, that is Jesus doing that. If we trust him to do that, and we have to trust the right Jesus again, not the Jesus of the Muslim. They believe in Jesus. Not the Jesus of the Mormon. Not the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness. Those are all false Christs. Not the Jesus of the Christian liberal who isn't a Christian. Those are all false Christs. The only Jesus who will save is the Jesus who is 100% man, uh, 100% God, and 100% man, and is the only way to heaven. That's the only Jesus that will actually get you forgiven, and accepted by God, and reconciled to him, and heaven bound. Is that Jesus? Why? Why, why, is, why does Jesus have to be the only way? Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Pretty clear. Why? Why is that? Two reasons. Two that I'm going to discuss. First, because he's the only man, remember he's 100% man, He's the only man who has ever lived whose life was sin-free. More than that, he's the only man who's ever lived who is morally, positively perfect. Morally perfect. So, Jesus' moral perfection, his law-keeping, his perfect law-keeping, his perfect righteousness, if you are one of those on whose behalf Jesus lived under the law, and kept the law, if you're one of those people, his moral perfection is credited to you the moment you put your trust in him alone to save you. Now, if you already have, his righteousness has already been credited to you. If you've not yet believed in Christ, but he is calling you out of the darkness, then it will be credited to you, but only if you trust in him. That's the evidence that you are... um, uh, That's the way you become a Christian. That's the way you get uh, uh, the righteousness of Christ um, placed upon you by God the Father is is by looking to Christ alone. But that perfect righteousness, you need that, you see. I need that. We all need to be seen by God as if we are Jesus, morally speaking. He has to see perfection when he pronounces judgment. If he doesn't, All hell breaks loose, quite literally, from the throne of God. So you need that perfect man, but that perfect man also had to be fully God, and is, by the way, God and man, perfectly so now, in glory. But you need Jesus, we all need Jesus to be forgiven and accepted by God, because the life that Jesus offered up to the father when he died was a life of infinite value there is no putting a there is no understanding or conceiving of or putting a limit to the value of the life of jesus why is that because jesus was not just a man he was and is the second person of the godhead god the son united together in one person, the Redeemer of sinners, the Redeemer of God's elect. And as God the Son, because he was and is God, his life has infinite worth, you see. And if, again, if you are one of those for whom Christ not only lived but died, and if he lived for you, he died for you too, But if you're one of those for whom Christ died, then his infinitely valuable life is what he, Jesus, used to pay off your infinite debt to God's justice that you and I owe because we're sinners. If that, that's an infinite debt. You can't pay it off. I can't ever pay it off. We could spend eternity in hell and it won't be paid off. Only God can pay off that debt. Jesus wasn't his God. That's how he paid off your debt, if you're a Christian or going to become one. And he had to be God, or that debt wouldn't get paid, you see. Just like he had to be man in order to act in your place so that his righteousness could be placed upon you in the sight of God, in the courtroom of heaven. Okay, so when we know why Jesus is the... Um, Trusting in Jesus alone is what alone saves us, and why Jesus is the only mediator and the only redeemer of God's people. But why is faith, why is faith in Christ the sole means by which we are spiritually united to Jesus and become beneficiaries of His redeeming work? Why, why is faith the instrument? Is the the word that uh, uh, theologians have referred to it as? Why is that? Why not something else? Why not baptism? Why not, uh, that is, water baptism? Why not, I don't know, church membership? Here's the reason. Since none of us are capable of doing a single thing to make ourselves acceptable to God or to get ourselves forgiven by God because we are uh, constitutionally sinners uh, and sin pollutes everything we do, because that's the case, Achieving our right standing with God, our acceptability with God, our reconciliation with God must be His work from beginning to end. He has to do the whole thing. That is, salvation must be of His grace. If a, And human effort can play no part in it or it's not going to happen. He has to do it all. It has to be of his gracious work. And this is where faith, belief, trust, whatever you want to call it, whatever word you want to use, comes into the picture. Because salvation has to be all of God's grace. Listen to what Paul says. And this is the answer to the question, by the way. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. He says, and the, the, the key comes in verse 16. Uh, uh, but I want to read the the uh, context. For the promise, uh, that is the covenant promise, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law. So obtaining the promise was not through law keeping, in other words, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. Then he says this, For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And he goes on. You see, the only way God can be responsible for our right standing before him, the only way he can do that from beginning to end, without any assistance from us, attempted even assistance from us, is if we obtain our right standing with God, our acceptability to God, by deliberately looking away from ourselves, I'm saying this metaphorically now, not physically, Medi- uh, by deliberately looking away from ourselves and our own innate abilities and resources and putting our sole trust in another. And this is exactly what we do when we put our trust in Jesus and the work that he accomplished to reconcile us to God. We are looking away from ourselves to the object of our faith, who is not ourselves or anything within ourselves, but to another. And we are, our dependence is on him to get the job done. That is, to save us. Faith is simply, folks, as the, uh, the um, Westminster Divines put it, faith is simply resting in Christ resting in him and what he did to save sinners. It's 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 utterly devoid of work, if I can put it that way. There's no effort in it. It's just looking to another and trusting him to accomplish that reconciliation. And that's why it has to be by faith. You see, if it were by baptism, the water baptism, then we could say, well, I agreed to get baptized. Or, 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 you know, something like that. You, you could conceivably, plausibly say, well, I have some responsibility there. I had to I at least go up to the water, you know. Had to walk the aisle or something. Baptism is very important, by the way. But it doesn't justify us. It has nothing to do with our justification, our acceptance with God, our forgiveness by God. Only Jesus does that. And it's only as you look to him alone, and only to him. So, the obvious question for everybody here and those listening at home, are you trusting in the Jesus I have described alone to save you, uh, to make you acceptable to God, to, to cause him to forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, and future, and to put you on the road to heaven? Are you trusting in him alone to do that? If you are, that's only because God was gracious to you, not because There's no credit that you and I can take for that. But you just need to be very, very, very thankful. But if you have never done that, if you have never understood that Jesus is my only hope, you have that opportunity right now. And you have no guarantee of another opportunity. So if you see your need for Christ, you or understand what a wretch you are uh, and how worthy you are of God's judgment and you want to be forgiven and you grieve over the offense that you have caused God and understand Jesus is your only hope of being forgiven, then flee to him right now. Just rest in him and you will be justified and you will be <clears throat> heaven bound. But you must look to him alone. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for this reminder of the gospel. It is the gospel. It is uh, central <clears throat> to what Jesus came to do, and that is to reconcile us to to you, Father, and really to to Himself and the Spirit as well. Lord, would you please impress this uh, this message? on everyone here, everyone who's listening. And would you please not allow any individual to deceive him or herself into thinking all is well when it isn't well with their relationship with you, or to think that all isn't well when it is well. Please don't allow the evil one or the old man to deceive anybody that's listening to me. And would you please give comfort and joy and thankfulness to those whom you have already redeemed. And would you please give the gift of faith to those who are still walking in darkness, but who are listening to me. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen.